0: Hello, you are listening to Radical Stepmoms. In this episode, I am chatting with Sarah Sproul, a sexuality educator and mom of three. She supports all sorts of parents to build even more connection with their growing kids by talking about the sensitive subjects like bodies, sex, and consent. I am asking her the hard questions like, when do we have the talk with the kids? How do we have the talk with the kids? How do we chat with kids about their bodies without shaming them? Uh, masturbation, all the things that make us really uncomfortable. How do we talk to our kids about it? Um, this is a great conversation, so enjoy.
1: Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining. Oh, Christina, I am so honored to be invited. Thanks so much.
0: Yay. I um, actually, a really good friend of mine, um, she sent me one of your videos because. Um, uh, she followed you and she was like, you need to follow her that she has great content. Um, and so then I just in watching you and what you do and I, me getting questions from followers where I'm like, I have no idea how to talk about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, reaching out to you was just like a, a, obvious, obvious thing. So, you know, um, can we hear a little bit about you and your background and sure. Um, other things? Yeah, well, um, I'm an
1: Australian living in Ireland. So I've been in Ireland 20 years. So I am already uh, looking at cultures and how people are different just based on, you know, the countries they grew up in. Um, I have an Irish spouse Mm. and three kids, two dogs and another member of our we have a member of chosen family in our house. So we have three adults, three kids, which is an excellent ratio um, when you're trying to combat uh, the teen crazy times, which is what we're in at the moment. My eldest is 17. I've got a 15 year old and a a 13 year old. So it's all systems
0: go in our house. Oh my gosh, yeah. We can talk about that too. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) sure lots of people would like to hear about that. Yeah, so how did you get into um, sexuality education?
1: Oh, God, I love this question because um, it's really so much based on uh, being a total and utter train wreck in my 20s. Um, mm. So I I was raised by missionary parents and so my mum and dad were missionaries. They moved us out to Nigeria when I was nine and we lived there for seven years and um, went to a missionary school. And that meant that um, sex education, relationship education, any of those sort of really useful practical things to do with growing up and trying to make sense of what sort of relationship I wanted was absent Mm. and um, so I ended up in my 20s thinking that I had to get married and some people might relate to this story actually in your audience Mm -hmm. thinking like I had to get married because that's I didn't know there was any other options and I was engaged at 22 called that Wedding off 10 weeks before, got engaged to him again two years later, called that wedding off on, wow. 10 weeks before as well. So I was sort of like, you know what? I think there might be something wrong with me. And looking back, I realized that I'd never been sort of, I'd never learned how to work out what I wanted from my life, particularly in my relationship life. You know, I didn't know how mm-hmm. to find out what my needs were i didn't have an orgasm until i was 28 and it's sort of like i did not want that for any of my kids growing up i wanted to give them a sense of um, understanding of who they were that they could speak up for what they needed that they were accepted and loved in our family no matter who they ended up wanting to have a relationship with or not having a relationship with so it was very much down to the um the struggles that I had trying to find out who I was and what relationship would work well for me. And then seeing these small little people um, Mm -hmm. trying to make their way in the world and thinking to myself, I want something different Mm -hmm. to, for them than what I had. And so
0: that's sent me on this track. Yeah. I think, I, I think so many parents are, it it takes a lot of healing or, you know, processing what we've personally gone through. And then when we have kids, we're like, Mm -hmm. oh man, I want to do this differently. I don't want them to feel or struggle or have to overcome the things that I went through. So, That's exactly right. Yeah, I hear stories like that from
1: from the parents I work with that so many of us have a story, um, even just as simple as being given like a book about periods, for example, rather than Mm -hmm. um, having a conversation with an adult or not just, not a conversation, but conversations Mm -hmm. over time about something Mm -hmm. as simple as that, about Mm -hmm. that basic body function, that cycle and how Mm -hmm. when there is an absence of conversations about it and then all of a sudden there's a book or one conversation, how that can really throw us as kids. And so many of us have memories of um conversation that did not go well and that in fact felt awkward and weird and we just wish that the ground would swallow us up and whoever mm-hmm. this adult is would just leave us alone please right. please
0: yeah and i think something that um that we forget as adults and parents is you know, we're the one that kind of sets the stage or the tone on how things are talked about and what's comfortable and what's not comfortable. And we have to kind of work through how we personally feel about it and decide like you did, you know, I'm going to do this differently and not make it a big thing or not make it, you know, something to be afraid of or ashamed of. Um, Like, like you mentioned, you know, periods and stuff. My mom, I got my period when I was like 11 and my mom like threw a party. It was mm-hmm. like, this is amazing. Like, this is great. Like, this is what it's all about. And, and now, you know, I have my three-year-old and, you know, she sees me in the bathroom, like, you know, doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And, and she's mm-hmm. like, mama, what is that? What's happening? Are you okay? Do you need a band aid? <laughs> and, you know, at, 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 there's like those moments where I'm like, okay, this is a big moment <laughs> as a parent how am I going to talk about this? How do I explain it? Um, So let's, let's start there. Um, You know, when we are talking about appropriate ages and, you know, how to start having these conversations and educating our children on, you know, certain things, whether it be puberty, periods, sex, all that stuff, um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the appropriate ages to start to start sharing that information?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I like to think about conversations about sensitive things or things to do with the body or things to do with sex, um, just like any other part of raising a child. So, um, you know, one of the most common examples I give is how we teach the children in our home about table manners. Do we wait for an appropriate age or do we from sort of, Um, The moment they're sitting at the table, do we start sort of laying boundaries and ground rules about it? So like um, one of the most basic ones would be that when we eat, we sit up probably Mm -hmm. to maybe a table or in a chair or something like that, because um, if we run around, we can put messy food all over the house or we might be at risk of choking or whatever it is. So we just say, okay, when we're eating as a family, we are all going to sit at the table and that is something very basic that we can start really early on to be having a conversation with our children about and the same thing applies to conversations about our body or um, about you know growing up or about our genitals that we can have foundational conversations with Mm -hmm. super young children like two-year-olds can start learning that um, you know these are the names for that the middle parts of our body, that's a penis. This is a vulva and a clitoris and look that little soft thing there. That's the scrotium, you know, or mm-hmm. you could be talking about, you know, those, those parts are for you. Nobody else gets to touch them. Only you that's one of the special parts of your body. And so, We can Mm -hmm. be talking about those things really early and they provide a foundation for more complicated conversations we have early on. And I I suppose um, there is something we could do even earlier. And sometimes I forget to say this, but that example of the period, the penis and the vulva, for example, Mm -hmm. we can, when we, if, if we happen to be raising a child from a newborn, when we have our newborn and we are changing their nappy, if we are changing an and we realize, oh wow, I am now responsible for another person's genitals. Like it's sort of bizarre when you think uh-huh. about that. Like it we is. have that responsibility. <laughs>
0: yeah. My but, husband um, was very, very like what because he had his son and then now we have a daughter. And my husband's like, I don't like this.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Particularly when they're the genitals that we don't have on our body when it's something different. <laughs> right. And so it's not sort of like, well, do I know how to talk about? this other person's genitals do I know can I use the correct words do I feel squeaky and awkward and and do I feel sort of embarrassed and I'm trying to avoid it and if that is the case then we can start practicing for ourselves okay I'm changing your nappy now I'm just going to wipe your penis I'm just going to wipe your vulva and make sure it's all clean and we're talking Mm. to ourselves and helping ourselves get comfortable with these Mm. basic things but are so important to lay the foundation for Mm. conversations later on.
0: Yeah. I, I'm going to keep referring to my three-year-old and my 10-year-old. Cause they're um, like, I told you before we hit record, they're just at very interesting developmental stages. Um, mm-hmm. But with my three-year-old, you know, we use uh, the, you know, normal words of vagina and penis and stuff. And I find myself like, you know, <laughs> she'll walk out of the bathroom with her pants around her ankles and, you know, cause she's, she's pretty potty trained. She still needs help with wiping. Um, but you know, she'll go, mama, I wiped my vagina. <laughs> just like, ah, that's yeah.
1: great, honey. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's something to celebrate because it, I don't know um, about your family, but for my family, um, even though my mom was a nurse, we didn't use that term in our house. I mean, I remember my dad calling all our genitalia because I'm one of four and there's two boys and two girls in my family. All our genitalia was called alls, you know, and you just, you washed your alls and you dried your alls and Mm. and off you went. And and there are actually a lot of families nowadays who still wouldn't be comfortable using um, accurate
0: and mm-hmm. you know, sort of
1: scientific names for genitals. And, and that could be one of the cultural um, clashes between um, families who are raising children it's in two different homes, that one home has sort of a, a norm for what we call those body parts and the other home has a different ner- norm. And it's all sort of like, well, how do you deal with
0: that sort of scenario? Yes. It's, it's complex. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, so when we're talking about you know using the actual terminology can you speak to just you know briefly why that might be important to do instead of using you know different synonyms for vagina and penis yeah so
1: first of all it teaches our child that we are completely open to talk about that part of their body and we not only are we doing that by by sort of using the correct names for them but we're also demonstrating that by the you know, how often we will talk about them. So um, you're in the bath, make sure you wash your penis or make sure you wash your vulva or your vagina, whatever, and and that sort of thing. So that if something went wrong, mm-hmm. um, you know, if someone wants to see their genitals, um, if we have had a lot of conversations about them, particularly around bodily autonomy, that they're just for us, then our child is more likely to come and talk to us about it because mm-hmm. we have... Um, created a habit in our family that, um, that is a really normal everyday thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so our child, if something happens outside of our home, um, they're not having to create a whole new habit or create a whole new conversational topic mm-hmm. around their genitals. I mean, the other thing is that, um, children who know how to name, all the parts of their body, that's, that's very empowering yeah. for them. And children that have um, access to language like that come across as empowered. They are not shrinking violets as a general rule. As a general rule, they're being raised in families that are really clued in about bodies and safety and um, the importance of open communication. And those signals get sent. If our mm-hmm. kids have access to language like that, they just send out this signal that, I am an a clued in, mm-hmm. educated, small person with mm-hmm. a family behind me who knows what's what.
0: And, right. And, and I know I ask. what's not okay, yeah. what's okay. And if yeah. something goes wrong, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, that exactly is exactly right. Yeah. Um, so going back to kind of, so we're building on this foundation, um, first of all, about having these open conversations with our kids about their bodies Um, at what age do you think, you know, it's appropriate to talk about sex and, you know, all of those things that parents kind of squirm about? (laughs)
1: Well, there is sort of, there's a few different ways you can approach this. First of all, if what you were talking about in the context of, um, how babies are made, and now we all know on this podcast that babies can be made in multiple different ways. (laughs) Um, so Um, but usually around the age of three or four kids are super interested, particularly if there's a pregnancy in our family Mm -hmm. or in a family that they're close to, they will be interested in that and they'll be asking questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it is absolutely a great idea to talk about, well, how is a baby made? There are two things, two parts that need to come together to make a new human. That's a sperm and an egg. Um, and they can come together in lots of different ways because, you know, there's IVF, artificial insemination or intercourse. Um, And not everyone is conceived through intercourse, obviously. So we just usually just say that sperm and just need to come together. And if a child asks us for more information, then absolutely say, well, there's three different ways. You know, the first way is, you know, sometimes a scientist has to help. The sperm and egg to come together, or sometimes a specialist doctor needs to bring the sperm to where the egg is. You know, in the I usually say uterus, even though it's not in the uterus, in the fallopian tube. Mm-hmm. And and then another way that that can happen is that the sperms come from the penis into the vagina. And I don't sort of say like the penis has to go into a vagina. Just keep it very sort of mm-hmm. simple because your your kids are young. Like yeah. if we're thinking around four years old, but by the age of six. Um, for, for the sake of their own safety, really, and so they have a good sense of um, what is going on in the world, um, and so they know that they can come and talk to us about things to do with sex and genitals and all those things. By the age of six, generally a conversation about intercourse is useful and important, and here is the reason why. Because we want to set ourselves up as being the go-to person for our child to come to about mm-hmm. um, things to do in this right? Um, I don't want my kid to be thinking that the 10 year old in the playground is the only person in their life who talks about penises and vaginas and sperms and eggs, because Mm -hmm. the the information is probably going to be wildly inaccurate. But Mm -hmm. so when we talk about it, and we're the the first person in our kid's life to talk about these things, Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And, you know, the final thing would be, I have a story um, of being nine and being told that the penis went into the vagina to deliver the sperm from my friend Libby, who was 10. And Mm. I remember feeling really sort of embarrassed that she knew that information and I Um, didn't know it. Yeah. Right. Even though my mom had told me when I was six and she was pregnant with my brother that, you know, that's how the sperms and eggs got together. So it's sort of like, if we want to save our child from the embarrassment or the, the shame of not knowing something that everyone else knows. That's Mm -hmm. another super good reason to have this conversation early. And by earlier, I mean, you know, we can have it around the age of six, but we need to keep, and this might sound like weird to people. We need to keep having it Mm -hmm. because my mum had that conversation with me when I was six, but by the time I was nine, I hadn't remembered. And Mm. so it's like, not only do these conversations have to take place, but they actually have to become part of just everything that goes on in mm-hmm. our family, like how conversations we have at the table or the, yeah. the books that we read from our family bookshelf.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I find it easier for me to, <laughs> um, like, especially with my daughter, you know, talking about it in like a normalcy of Mm. like, this is just what life is. And that's where, you know, we have, we have, um, land and, you know, we have all sorts of wildlife around us. We have this little family of deer, um, that grow and, and, you know, over the years and there's, um, new fawns appearing. And so my daughter's asking questions. And so I'm, I'm like using animals like, well, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, this is, you know, they have, they had a baby and, you know, I, I remember having similar conversations with my stepson, um, cause I came into his life when he was three, um, right around potty training and stuff. Um, and I now have had conversations because, you know, we had my daughter. And so when I was pregnant, it was this super interesting position for me to be in where, I'm not his biological mother. He's asking Mm -hmm. these questions about babies. And, you know, when my daughter came and I was breastfeeding and I'm having these conversations. And so as a stepmom, like you and I had had sort of touched on, you know, I'm in this position of, I want to teach him these things, but then there's the other household that may have differing ideas of when is appropriate and when is not appropriate. So Mm -hmm. I think I have a question for you in- you know, blended families aside, or, you know, whoever is kind of having differing opinions about when to have these discussions, Mm -hmm. what is kind of your answer to them about, you know, why it's, you might have touched on that, but, you know, like when you're, when you're confronted with someone who's like, I don't want my kid to know this yet, or, you know, it's too soon. um, Yeah. Is there a good response to that? Yeah.
1: Do you know, uh, there is a good response to that. And um, it's actually, you talk actually quite a bit about this in your, in all your material, Christina, which I love. There, there are two different responses. One is empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can completely understand that if someone hasn't been raised to, um, to make sense of the fact that children need information early, then it will feel almost bordering on abusive and Mm -hmm. i'm using a very strong word but let's just go there right because Mm -hmm. we probably will be accused of this by the person who doesn't agree with us um uh it will be bordering on that from from the way they would see it and based on their values and what they think is right in the world so one response can be look it, it must feel like this is completely out of line and You know, children don't need to know this information and they can just find out about it when they're 10 or 11 or 12 or going through puberty or whatever. So there's, empathy is one way. The other way is to use um, the same strategies you would use for any other part of parenting where the values are different, so whether that's mm. homework or uh, fizzy drinks or whatever that is, you mm. say, "Look, your rules for your house, our mm. rules for our house." And in our house, what's important is that our children know, without a shadow of a doubt, that we are here for them. We're able to answer questions, and they can come to us when things are tough and there's problems. Mm. And mm. and I, like I'm a little bit. I'm hard-nosed about it, but I'm actually, that is 100% non-negotiable in my family. Mm-hmm. And even families that don't have sort of the, you know, parallel parenting or co-parenting or whatever issues going on have this same problem to do with school communities because all of, a lot of us, if our children aren't homeschooled, we are sending our child um, to an environment where there are like hundreds of different opinions right. about what is right. Okay, yeah. and um, and sometimes parents will come to me and they'll feel be be saying, "Look, Sarah, you're telling me to have this conversation. The earlier, the better. The more often, the better." But I'm just so worried that um, the the mum of my little kids best friend is going to come to me and be really cross that my child mm-hmm. knows what a condom is and you, and her child doesn't and my child told her. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, uh, this is one of those key moments in parenting when we go, okay, what's mm-hmm. more important, the neighbor right. or, and the, the other family's values or our values and mm-hmm. the long-term connection that we are building with the child in our home. Um, And that ongoing reminder to them that we talk about things here, hard Mm -hmm. things, difficult things, sensitive things, embarrassing things. It's all available Mm -hmm. if they, if they want it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that. And it's, and it's empowering as a parent to just hear that, um, that, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like I'm doing what's best for my child and I'm, I'm, you know, preparing both of them for you know, harder conversations and and, mm-hmm. and just thinking of it in that way of it is a foundation. And the more we feel more comfortable talking about things or answering questions as parents, you know, our kids are going to feel that and, and be more open into asking questions. And I read on one of your posts to, you know, you were just speaking to, you know, don't necessarily wait for your kids to come to you to ask you, you know, what is sex or, you know, to, but to have that kind of, you know, be just a part of the dialogue, but for people who are listening, who, you know, they don't have that foundation and it's kind of been this, you know, quiet mm-hmm. um, topic. And now, you know, they're approaching puberty and it's like, okay, I, you know, I got a couple questions um, asking, you know, I think my stepson is masturbating too much or, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, my, I don't know if my stepdaughter is if she knows about sex, but, you know, she's starting to have boyfriends. So I think, you know, without that foundational piece, just a, is there a blanket age where this this should definitely be talked about and how, how do you navigate that? You know, when the kid doesn't have that foundational knowledge. Yeah. So it's, the earlier, the better, but let's just say
1: for the sake of this conversation, we have a 10 year old or 11 year old, and um, there has been no conversations happened up till this point. Mm -hmm. The conversation I suggest would go something like this. Um, You can start it either. I learned something new today, or what's even more powerful is to say, I need to apologize to you because when we say I need to apologize to you to a child all of a sudden that that likes that's like whoa yeah can you feel the connection (laughs) yeah right it's like oh wow this is gonna be juicy yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly and it challenges that sort of idea that oh yeah grown-ups have all the answers and children just have to listen and hear all the information so it's like yeah I, I need to apologize to you um you're 10 now and I didn't realize that I've been missing a really important part of your growing up and your education. And I didn't know that I was meant to talk about this. And you could even say something like, and I feel a little bit embarrassed that I didn't know. And I actually feel embarrassed to talk about it now. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just going to jump out of that script for a minute and say why it's so important to use the word embarrassed or awkward. It's because um, if our nervous system, if our body feels those emotions and we don't name them. Mm-hmm. The child we are talking to is going to be picking up that there's some disconnect here. What's going on? My 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 adult is being trying to be calm, but I can see there's something going on, and so mm-hmm. they pick up on that. So it's really important to name the emotion that you're feeling about it. So mm-hmm. so back into the script. Then um, I feel really embarrassed. And I feel super awkward, but um, I we have completely not had any conversation about puberty or relationships or babies or any of those things, and I am so sorry right? And then you just wait. Now, the child will, who knows what they're going to act. They might go, oh, you're weird. Or, oh, that's mm-hmm. gross. Or that's okay. Don't worry about it. But I know everything already. They could, they could oh, do anything. Right. <laughs> but the point then is to, um, you can, you can just leave it for the moment and say something like, well, um, I realize it's my job to help you with this part of, of growing up. Um, so I'll come back to you um, maybe tomorrow, and we can talk about it some more, right? And then that's it. So you actually you haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you would do with um, anyone, adult, child, anyone who you actually want to have a, a collaborative relationship
0: mm-hmm. with. Um, give them a heads up so start
1: thinking about it. Yeah. Yes. And then the next day, come back and said, you know, I was thinking about the conversation we had yesterday. And I'm so, um, so thankful that I was able to say that and um, we need to work out how you can get the information you need, right? And then you're entering into some sort of collaborative um, framework where, you know, you could do something like brainstorm all the different ways this child could get the information and support they need. And you could put some things down on paper and they could put some things on down on paper and, and mm-hmm. just come up with one and give it a go. And if it doesn't work, if someone's too embarrassed then you go back to the piece of paper, and say, okay, let's try something else,
0: mm-hmm. you know, and,
1: and you can be putting things down like, well, let's try listening to some, a podcast together. Or what about you buy me a book and give mm-hmm. it to me and then I'll read yeah. in my room and, you know, yeah. So yeah. there are lots of different levels, but for the people who have not started these foundational conversations just know this is not your fault absolutely not your fault all of us do the best we can in our parenting based on what we know Mm -hmm. right and a lot of us haven't been shown or told that conversations like this can start really early and so then we're left sort of holding the ball when our kid is going into puberty going, Oh no. And we've got like 10 years (laughs) of conversations that we have to do in six months, you know? So it's not your fault. We're doing the best with what we can. And now that, you know, different, it's, it's time to seek the support you need because remember none of us are superheroes. Uh, We are all just um, maybe needing support for different things. Like the community you've built, Christina, right? You have a particular, um, experience and ability to nurture people through, you know, really complex relationship dynamics. Um, And in the same way, we can be nurtured and supported through this relationship dynamic of having conversations with a child in our care. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I love the way that, I mean, just visualizing that conversation, it was, it almost like eased any anxiety that I had just because when I'm thinking about having these conversations, it's like, okay, we're going to sit down at the table and it's mm. like, all right, we're going to have this sex talk. Here's how it's <laughs> going to go. But the word, you know, you used was collaborative and that took so much like I, I felt this weight just like, mm. okay, yeah, this, I don't have to. Cause I feel like that's, you know, kind of the emotion that us as parents, we feel a lot of pressure. Mm. And I mean, even like I said, with my three-year-old <clears throat> I'm noticing these moments, these parenting moments that I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to screw her up. If I do not (laughs) explain this in the correct way or fight, because I have Mm -hmm. my hopes for her and I have, you know, the great things that I think my mom and dad did in raising me, but there, I, you know, as we can all Mm -hmm. say, reflect back and go, "Eh, I think I want to do this a little differently. Um, Mm -hmm you know, that it puts so much pressure. So really, again, going back to that processing of our own emotions and naming them, um, yeah. and being honest with our kids that, yeah, this is, this isn't an easy thing to talk about. There's a lot of stigma and, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. super complex. So, um, yeah. I wanted to answer a few questions or ask you a few questions, um, from my listeners. Um, sure. In getting to the age, I mean you have teenagers. So mm-hmm. in getting to the ages where, you know, masturbation and porn are issues um, or concepts, topics, mm-hmm. um, I had a couple questions about that, just of uh, one, how to have that conversation about, you know, your own pleasure and that sex isn't just for babies, um, but also um is too is there a thing is too much? When does it become um, a problem? <laughs> sure.
1: that? Yeah. And, and th- by that, you mean too much masturbation as opposed to too much talking about it. Is uh, that-
0: yeah. Too much masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. So
1: the first question was um, how do we talk about pleasure? And um, if we are, subscribe to this idea that we layer conversations over time then we mm-hmm. can talk about the fact that our body feels nice from you know when our child is, like your your three-year-old for example mm-hmm. there will be so many opportunities where you will see that she is just enjoying life like mm-hmm. running the pleasure of running the pleasure of jumping on the trampoline the pleasure of tasting beautiful food like this idea of pleasure in our body is not purely sexual so if we can tap into the idea of the fact that human bodies have all different ways they feel pleasure Mm -hmm. um even by looking at a beautiful painting or a tree or seeing our friend we can feel joy and that one of the other ways we feel pleasure is by um by the different parts of our body. Like some parts of our body feels really sort of lovely to touch, like maybe our soft cheeks or our earlobe, or even our genitals, like our penis or our our vulva or clitoris, whichever word you want to say. Mm -hmm. And so you see, like by just um, attaching the pleasure to do with the sexual parts of the body onto all the other pleasures that we don't actually feel stigma and shame about, it eases that journey into those topics i think for all of us for our child and for ourselves if it's if we've got to be um the parent of a child who is older then i will acknowledge it's Mm. going to be more difficult because everyone's going to feel awkward and our child is absolutely going to feel awkward Mm -hmm. and again it's that thing about coming into collaboration and going okay listen um i need you to know some things as it's my job as an adult to make sure, you know, stuff, but I think these topics are going to be really awkward. So, um, let's work out a way that I can show you what the topics are that I need to make sure, you know, about, and then we can work out, um, how I can be sure you know about them in a way that won't completely freak you out. And I'm, I'm thinking about one of the ways to do that is like, how about I send you a text and just say, and it's going to be shocking and there's going to be words that you wish you weren't reading, but at least you're reading them rather than me saying them to your face. Right. <laughs> and then you can start putting down okay uh, send a text so here's one embarrassing one masturbation here's another one pleasure and just like you can probably hear groans and moans of stop sending these texts but it starts the conversation rolling and I think the important thing to remember is that um, there are two needs competing needs when we are dealing with conversations like this with older children. One of the needs is we are the responsible adult and it is our job to give them what they need to be able to look after themselves in the future. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we have a young person who has very clear needs about comfort and um, feelings of safety, and um, not wanting to be embarrassed, and those are competing when our children are older. So it's a matter of acknowledging that both those needs are equally as valid. Like we mm-hmm. can't allow our young person to tell us, "Well, you, I don't want you to tell me those things," because that's our responsibility as an adult. Mm-hmm. But equally, we can't say to our young person, "Well, you just need to listen because you have to sure. hear these things." No, it's those those we we can find a place of respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't get onto the masturbation piece. Did I, do you want me to do that now too? Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: So is there too possible, is it possible to masturbate too much? In the general population, it is very rare for people to masturbate too much. Mm -hmm. Very, very rare. Um, Oftentimes in sexuality education, which is where, what I work within, um, we think about masturbation as an amazing opportunity to learn about our body before we start sharing it with someone else. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, um, we're, we're learning what feels good on our body. We're learning how to maybe release tension. We're learning, um, about the different ways that perhaps what our climax feels like, particularly mm-hmm. if we, our child is living in a body with a vulva and a clitoris, which can oftentimes, you know, orgasm in bodies like that can be a little bit more, um, take maybe longer or might the world, oh, the, you yeah. know, those super secret messages <laughs> that complex. say, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so, um, so the, the act of touching our own genitals and learning about our body is super important. And Mm -hmm. it is to be encouraged, given that there are boundaries around it, which is, of course, like you do it in the privacy of your room or the bathroom with the door closed. And you don't use up all the whole water if you're masturbating in the shower, because that's not fair on everyone else. You can have conversations (laughs) like this that are very practical, that sort of stick masturbation on at the end, you know, but Mm -hmm. certainly if. Too much masturbation looks like someone who isn't doing their homework, doesn't want to go out and see their friends, you know, that is seriously impacting um, their quality of life and their yeah. engagement with their everyday world. So it's far more extreme than most of us might be led to believe by the media, who can oftentimes scare us a little bit, sure. really, about things to do with sexuality and growing growing young people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I- as you're saying that in the mental health field, which I work in, you know, um, it becomes a problem, you know, when you're assessing someone and diagnosing, diagnosing someone, you're going through the different criteria. And what it always comes down to is how it's impacting your ability. And like you said, Mm. your quality of life and, Mm. you know, depression isn't necessarily depression, unless it's impacting your ability to get out of bed Mm. or, you know, um, go to work, uh, talk Mm. to friends and and stuff. So that's, that's kind of, as you were talking, I was like, yeah, like if it's not like really making, you know, if you, if the kid decides to go to bed an extra, you know, 30 hour, you know, earlier than normal, then then that's fine. Like, (laughs) you know, Um, And,
1: and I think it reminds me actually that so much stuff around our human sexuality has stigma attached to it christina like even like when you think about sexual risk versus other sorts of risks like the risks of climbing a cliff or a large Mm -hmm. tree versus the risk of um, maybe like sharing your genitals with someone else without a condom like those risks would be perceived differently and as Mm -hmm. a general rule most of us are programmed to think about sexual risk as far more scary and dangerous than other risks like maybe our child riding their bike to school instead of being driven Mm -hmm. by us you know so we, we I think we need to be aware that sometimes our brain will play tricks on us when it comes to thinking about our child's developing sexuality as being this sort of place where risk and danger and fear can be like it's oh so present and that is because we don't often we very rarely see in the media or hear people talk about how just a lot of us a lot of us grow up with a sexuality that you know we muddle along and we work out what it is and we slowly learn to share it with other people and okay You know, sometimes crappy stuff happens and, um, for some of us then really bad stuff happens, but for the majority of us, um, we can muddle on through life and, um, Develop our sexual self, and that developing sexual self happens for the whole of our lifespan. We're not just talking about puberty. There'll be some of us listening to this podcast, and there's certainly one of us, I'll speak for myself, Mm. recording this podcast who is continually learning about her sexual self. And that's me. You know, as I age, like I'm going through menopause at the moment, how is that altering? My sexual self. And so mm-hmm. it's this journey of discovery mm-hmm. and our children are on it too. And just because sometimes mistakes happen or things go wrong, or we get into a relationship that maybe we shouldn't have got into and doesn't mean that our life comes crashing down around our ears. And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. our children's lives will come crashing down around our ears. And mm-hmm. the point I'm making here really is that fear can often stop us from having conversations that our children need to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's because we keep sort of coming back to this idea of sex being risky and sex being dangerous and um, sex creating fear. Mm -hmm. And um, while sometimes it does do all those things, um, when we keep focusing on on that, we forget that our child needs us to speak up about these things and to go first and to start these conversations first because they're only kids mm-hmm. and we're adults and it's our job to lead the way and give them what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just like a podcast like this, Christina, is sort of listening to something like this is the first step along this really beautiful journey of sta- standing up for our child's, stepping forward and going, okay, I'm going to be here for you. And, um, it's probably going to be hard because I've got a lot of deprogramming to do, but Mm -hmm. you know what, it's going to be worth it in the long run. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you, do you have any book recommendations for parents who are wanting to kind of, you know, shift or become more comfortable, uh, in, in talking about, you know, sexuality Mm -hmm. with their kids?
1: There is um, a really great book by Karen Rain. I'm going to spell her last name for you. Uh, R-E-Y-N-E. Oh, no, it's R-A-Y-N-E. Spelling's not my strong suit. It is called, um, in fact, Christine, can we just pause for a minute? I'm just going to go and get yeah. the books and then we'll start this again. Hang on a sec so I can read okay. them out. you. <laughs> okay. Um, there is a really great book called Breaking the Hush Factor. It's by Karen Rain, and her last name is spelled R-A-Y-N-E. Um, and that book talks about how can we talk to sort of kids who are going into puberty. So this is a book for people who haven't managed to do that those foundational culture-setting conversations when their kids were younger. Um, and it is just a super way to um, get our head around the fact that these conversations don't look like what we think they look like. Like you mentioned before about the sit-down conversation mm-hmm. and like uh, we have a book in front of us and maybe a, a, an exercise book where we're writing down things and our child is listening that it's not like that. So that would be one of the resources. There is a resource called amaze.org, which is um an amazing free resource for parents and children of lots of different ages, little cartoon videos um, about specific little topics within this area. Um, And I highly recommend it. It's categorized. There are some for parents, some for children aged like two to four, um, five to seven, you know, all these different age categories. And I just find it incredibly useful for um, breaking down um, stigma and shame. And then there is, you know, my sitting in a car podcast, which is really short. It's usually not more than 10 minutes. Oh, but I, it's I talk so about-
0: packed full of things. It's like, it, it's amazing. <laughs> so-
1: well, <laughs> the aim of it is that if we are um, driving to pick up, children from school or sport or whatever it is, and we've got a 10-minute drive that we listen to one of those. And so by the end of it, we've worked out, oh, yeah, okay, I think I could probably at least have one small conversation with a six-year-old about um, why I'm pulling a piece of bloody cotton wool out of my vagina, you know. Right. So yeah. it's sort of very practical things. And and I think I use the word sort of deprogramming ourselves, but it really is by listening to people talk about this just Often, 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 once Mm -hmm. a week, put on a podcast, watch an amaze.org video, um, have a have a child's book in your house that has um, the the journey about sperms and eggs. And just by very small incremental um, experiences, we slowly change our mindset and um, how our body feels about conversations like this. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, we have to desensitize ourselves. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, this has been super helpful and, um, all of the resources that you just mentioned, um, I will put in the show notes. Um, can you kind of just speak, um, guide people on how to find you, um, Mm -hmm. and what services you offer, um, all that sort of stuff.
1: Sure. Instagram is my happy place. I yeah. um just I feel yeah. And that's where you and I met, right? So it's really yeah. great. Uh-huh. <laughs> um so my Instagram um is I am Sarah Sproul and spelling is really hard for that. So just have a look at the show notes. Yeah. Um <laughs> and I put sitting in a car on Instagram once a week. Um I'm I have created a program called the Evolve School. And that's um, a program to show parents how to sort of go from not being able to talk about anything to having a really grounded sense of all the different age appropriate topics we can have with children of all different ages. But um, it's not just about the information. We also look at different communication strategies, uh, like you will have heard me mentioned some of them today about how start how we start sentences or um, Mm -hmm. how we use sort of really strategic listening and empathy strategies to help our child feel connected with us how to manage sort of conflict with other people who don't necessarily agree with the way we are introducing these conversations uh, into Mm -hmm. our family and then sort of some support around how we we manage our nervous system. So the Evolve School is sort of like the one-stop shop for all the skills you would need. And um, occasionally I do mini workshops and you find out all about those on Instagram. I always put them out there. So Mm -hmm. that's really my,
0: that's the best place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, This has been super helpful. And if people have questions, um, they can contact you, find you on Instagram. Absolutely.
1: Yep, absolutely. My DMs are open. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, um, answer questions and oftentimes if they're really a question that I think everyone would, um, learn from, then I ask permission to use it on sitting in a car in a completely anonymous way. So, um, that questions are definitely welcome.
0: Yay. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, Everyone, uh, all of her information will be in the show notes. So go take a peek at that. Um, I hope this episode was helpful for you as always be well and stay radical. All right, ladies, the episode is over, but do you want a little more? Come find me on Instagram and join the community at radical stepmoms podcast or schedule a one-on-one session and get that personalized support, or become a Radical member and gain access to exclusive content like bonus episodes and merch. Radical Stepmoms is so much bigger than a podcast. Check out the details and the notes on this episode.